Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 30. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and that you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats and their other garments and they were thrown in the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of the blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. <clears throat> it's just an amazing, amazing passage. I just ask that the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts on this passage would be pleasing in your sight. For we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Well, as you've probably gathered, we're carrying on in our series of the book of Daniel, and we've come to this amazing passage about the fiery furnace. 
You'll remember that Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah, were actually Jews. They were Jews of noble birth, um, and Nebuchadnezzar had taken them hostage after his invasion of Judah. But despite being in captivity, they'd shown a fearless loyalty to the faith of their fathers. They even had to have their names changed to, 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 to obliterate any testimony to the God of Israel. So Daniel, whose name meant God is my judge, became Belshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. Ananiah, his name meant Yahweh is gracious. He became Shadrach, which means I am fearful. Mishal, who is name was what is God, became Meshach, I am despised before the gods. And Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped, he became Abednego, servant of the god Naboo. Well, they've been trained up in the king's service for three years, and at the end of the which, that time, they proved so capable that they were given administrative positions in Nebuchadnezzar's royal court. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting character. He's an ex-general. He's fought his way up to become king of this vast, far-flung Babylonian empire. Now he's at a position, and we can see parallels so much with our, some of our present-day dictators. He's now in a position where he needs to consolidate his power base find a way to unite all these vast sort of political and cultural differences in his kingdom. And what better way to do that than to use religion? I think you'll agree, Lily. It's a great binder. Through religion, you can bind different people from different cultures and different backgrounds and ethnicities. Nebuchadnezzar knows this, so he erects this great statue, which is encrusted with gold, bang in the middle of the plain of Jura, just outside the capital city of Babylon. Who's seen the statue of the Angel of the North? Yeah, right. Well, you might like to know that's the largest statue of an angel in the world. It's 66 feet high. But Nebuchadnezzar's statue was 90 feet high. You couldn't mistake it from anywhere across the plain. And his wasn't a statue of an angel. This was made in the image of one of the great gods of Babylon, Naboo, which was a very good political power play by Nebuchadnezzar because, of course, as you've probably gathered, he derived his own name from the word Naboo. In fact, the literal translation of Nebuchadnezzar is Naboo protects my boundaries. So you see, although his aim was political, his method was religious. Well, then he sends out this edict in his own name with it, all its overtones of deity, inviting the good and the great to a dedication concert out on the plain. And high up on the list of VIPs were the three rising civil servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, of course, the king expected them to show up. I mean, there's no reason why they wouldn't RSVP. I mean, even if they were a bit precious about their God. I mean, after all, they had religious freedom. 
their own little chapel to worship in every Saturday. They just needed to be open-minded. I mean, one little political gesture was all that he was asking for. Just fall flat on the ground when the band plays. I mean, everyone else is going to be doing it anyway. Then you can get on and enjoy the festivities. It was no big issue. Well, yeah, of course the furnace had been stoked up, but that was just in case. I mean, that was really only to deter the lunatic fringe. Doesn't apply to you guys. So, no pressure. Except there was lots and lots of pressure. Pressure to conform. Pressure to compromise. Because there was the pressure of ambition, there was peer pressure, there was the pressure of envy, there was the pressure of religious intolerance, and there was the pressure of fear. Ambition, peer pressure, envy, religious intolerance, and fear. That's what they faced. So let's have a look at how they dealt with it and see what lessons we can draw from it. Well, these three young Jews were under the mentorship of their senior colleague and patron, Daniel, who is now their, their boss, their provincial governor. And they were envied. They were envied by others in the administration. They were seen as usurping foreigners, clawing their way to the top. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition as long as we seek to serve the Lord in our vocation. But I'm sure we've all come across people who live by a different mantra, especially in commerce and politics, that awful dog-eat-dog -dog mentality. And the higher up the management ladder you go, the more careful you have to tread. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their public refusal to worship the statue gave their jealous enemies a golden opportunity to try and topple them which we read about in verses 8 to 12. I don't know, perhaps you've even faced similar situations in your own career. I know I have. So there was the pressure of ambition. Then there was the peer pressure. They came under peer pressure to conform, be like everybody else. After all, it wasn't going to be that difficult, was it? All they had to do was to join in the fun enjoy the festivities, dance along to the music, enjoy the grub and the social interaction. And when it came to time for genuflexing, well, I mean, was it really that big a deal? Everybody was doing it anyway. Why stand out like a sore thumb and risk the king's displeasure? But you see, peer pressure can be insidious, even in Guildford keeping up with everybody else on the social scene, thinking about that second home, exotic holidays, designer kitchens, tickets to Wimbledon and, and Twickenham, that next faraway holiday. And it's especially hard for our teenagers and young people with all the pressure that social media creates to be cool, part of the in crowd, give in to sexual pressures, laddish behavior, bullying and texting. Nobody wants to stand out against the crowd, be seen to be counter-cultural. It's much easier to compromise 
rather than to stand up for principles in the face of peer pressure, derision, and even, even when it's verbalized, and worse still, when it's texted. Unless, that is, you belong to a church like this, which has a vision to love God, love people, and make a difference. Although I sometimes think we should change that to be. Love God, love people, and be the difference. Even when it means being countercultural. So, they faced the pressure of ambition, and they faced peer pressure. Then there's the pressure of work, especially as you get into your senior years, and the energy levels seem to desert us. Anybody had that experience? I know I'm having it at the moment. As most of you know, I've got a day job. And in our showroom at work, a few of you have been there, we have some very, very comfortable armchairs. Now, it's a good job Rosemary's not here this morning, but I have to confess, sometimes in the afternoon I do sneak downstairs for a quick par nap. Why not? And then we're about to recruit a general manager. There's going to be big changes in our business, a change to our culture, a, a change to the dynamic of the people there, stuff we've got used to over the years. And change is unsettling. Whether business or lifestyle, it's an unsettling to have to face the unknown. And then when we come to the end of our careers, there can be another pressure to conform to. One day you've got status, a title, respect. Next day, you're plain Mr. or Mrs. And everybody says, what are you going to do when you're retired? Everybody wants to know. It can bring its own pressures. So what can we learn from this passage? passage. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand firm in the face of ambition, maintain a rock-like resolve in the face of peer pressure and envy, resist false prejudice and religious, religious intolerance, overcome those natural feelings of fear and panic? What I'd like to briefly suggest three practical lessons we can gain from this passage. Firstly, notice that they didn't have to face their trials on their own. They sought solace and comfort from each other, from their fellowship. And they had a righteous and wise men mentor, their boss, the provincial governor, Daniel, to affirm and guide them in their calling and faith. And it's the same for us within this church family. At the end of each service, if you want prayer for a particular situation or pressure that you're facing, come to the chapel and we have trained people who will pray with you. Or if you prefer to talk to a member of clergy, that's fine. Then we have our wonderful life groups where the pressure of life can be shared and prayed about. Or maybe you've got a wise Daniel yourself you can turn to when the pressure builds. Again, that's something we can help you with. So firstly, don't try to carry the burden of pressures alone. Seek companionship for your troubles. Seek the help and guidance of a wise Daniel. As a curate in training, the diocese allocates me a spiritual director, somebody I can turn to in confidence for wise guidance. Or perhaps you might even think about becoming a wise Daniel yourself. Join our church mentoring role acting as wise spiritual guides to our younger church members on their journey of faith. 
I know, in fact, that a number of you are already doing this. That's the first point. The second point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have sought resolve and inspiration through prayer and the Word of God. The Hebrew Scriptures handed down to them through the generations, saying such as from Psalms, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. In Proverbs, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The word wisdom would really have spoken to them because the Hebrew word for wisdom, shakmar, is more than just having common sense. It's characterized by determination, skill, resolve, even cunning. And they would have drawn strength from prophecies such as, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not faint. Did anyone else get given a little red book at school? No, it's not the thoughts of Chairman Marion. <laughs> it is a Gideon, Gideon Bible. How many of you got Gideon Bibles? It's great, isn't it? And there's this wonderful little section where you can look things up. Where to find help in time of need? When afraid, attacked, distressed, or troubled, it's a really good little helpful, helpful guide there. And of course, there's great comfort from looking up a verse from the living, active Word of God. But I'd like to suggest the morning that Scripture and prayer ought not to be separate entities. In Acts 17, when Paul is preaching to the Barians, who were more of more noble character than the Thessalonians, it says, every day they open the scrolls of Scripture to search and examine them. As our Christian ancestors can testify, it's when we search and examine the Word of God, pray and meditate on Scripture, when we fuse them together so that they become one, then, then the Holy Spirit can really get to work, can form the life of Christ in us. So, firstly, don't bottle stuff up, share the pressures with trusted companions, see if God is perhaps calling you to be a wise Daniel, to be a mentor to others. Secondly, be of noble character like the Barians. Meditate and pray through the Scriptures. Fuse them together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, the third thing that I think we can draw from this passage, recognize that God is sovereign, whatever the outcome. And that's a theme that repeats itself throughout the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, it was God, not Nebuchadnezzar, who delivered Judah into the grip of Babylon. It was God who caused the official to favor Daniel. It was God who gave wisdom and understanding to Daniel, to Hananiah, to Mishael, and Azariah. It was God who showed Daniel how to interpret the king's dream. It was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar his empire. And it was God who gave Daniel and his three compatriots the skills to get to top positions. And then finally, it was God's saving presence in the fiery furnace that kept them safe. So throughout the book of Daniel, we see that God is sovereign, even in the affairs of a godless state. 
They knew that God was ultimately in control. Nothing could prevail against his will. Nothing would rob them of his love and protection. And that knowledge in their heads gave them peace in their hearts, peace and courage to face the trial of that fiery furnace, whatever the outcome. What a relief for us to know that we too are invulnerable until our Heavenly Father decides to call us home. The very worst, the very worst people can do to us is kill us. And if they kill us, they simply usher us into his presence. Because all the things that we strive for, all the things that we, we, we longed for, we're going to leave them behind, every one of them. So what a difference it makes if we truly believe that nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God did deliver them from an agonizing death in a spectacular manner. The Living Bible, I think, gives the best epilogue in verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they prospered greatly in the province of Babylon. That's a great ending. The the abundant providence of God for his righteous servants. But I think there's an even more profound conclusion we can take from this story, and it's this. Standing on the side of that furnace, waiting, watching in fascinating horror was Nebuchadnezzar and his courtiers. And they had the privilege of seeing what is always true, but not always apparent. One like a son of the gods walking beside them just as he walks alongside us, a suffering Lord who is touched by our infirmities because he's been through it all, so that whatever hardships we face, he is still sovereign over all. As Dorothy Sayers wrote, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to pain and sorrow, he had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. God is sovereign. Now, that doesn't mean he always answers every prayer for deliverance in the here and now. But he never, he never lets the pressure of life try us beyond our abilities to endure. So, just to sum up, firstly, share the burden of pressure with trusted companions. See if God is calling you to be a a Daniel, a mentor. Be of noble character like the Barians. Pray through Scripture. Deuteronomy speaks of the value of having God's Word on your doorsteps and all around you. Fuse them together to receive words of knowledge in the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, recognize that God is sovereign, whatever the outcome. For whatever fiery furnace we walk through, there is always one, like the Son of Man, walking in the flames with us. And often it's only when we reach the fire that we become aware of the presence of his divine companionship, walking beside us as if treading the glades of paradise, our good shepherd there with his rod and staff. And nothing, nothing in all creation can separate him from us.